Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cheese and pickle. Hello, hello, and welcome once more to the Nicholas Craig Podcom. Sit ye down, or if you're listening on earphones while on your morning run, jog on. Or if you're in the bath, do make sure you don't drop any electrical devices in the water. Now, before I get deeply entrenched in the land of pod, I must warn you, I am waiting for an important phone call. And yes, it is about a job. And I don't care how many actors may tell you they don't need to do this anymore. They're lying. It is one of the universal hazards of the oldest profession in the world. Martin Clunes may say he's running an animal's hospital, but waiting for a phone call. Daniel Day-Lewis cobbling in Rome, Kwame Kweama running two theatres in London and Baltimore, Celia Imrie writing a series of best-selling books, and just about every actress over the age of 40 becoming a psychotherapist. Who are they all kidding? They are waiting for a phone call. So, just flagging it up so that you don't think Craig being very, very rude when he ignores all you podders and rushes to the phone. As an actor, one has to reserve the right to drop whatever it is one is doing, abandon whoever one is with at the time, and just follow the calling. Or in this case, the phone call. Harsh, I know, but if you're not prepared to give up on promises made, let loved ones down and, I don't know, leave the grill pan crusty when it's you who burnt the cheese on toast, then you shouldn't have joined up in the first place. You see, being an actor is not so much a get-out-of-jail card as a licence. A licence to thrill. Although, having said that, I'll probably get trolled now by the whole podding community, if there is such a thing, for daring to suggest that there's anything remotely prison-like about going online and freely saying whatever comes into my head without fear of being cancelled. The internet seems to have given everyone the right to behave as if they were the theatre critic for The Guardian, and judgmentally destroy all who dare step out of line. But we can't all be critics, no. It requires the possession of a certain froideur to, um, how shall I put this, to prefer your citron pressé unsweetened, to like your chardon freuded. Now, personally, I, I have nothing against the critics. I think they have an immensely difficult job, which they carry out with great integrity and flair, and when you consider that most of them have been heartbreakingly unsuccessful as playwrights themselves, a remarkable lack of bias. In my experience, audiences are an enormously intelligent group of people perfectly capable of making up their own minds, whether an actor is acting well or has been let down by bad direction and an indifferent play. 
Anyway, they can write whatever they like, as far as I'm concerned. It's all water off a duck's back to me, because it's always been my very strictest rule never ever to look at my reviews. No, not even a peek. Inevitably, friends will read out any especially flattering bits over the phone, but it's never occurred to me to have these bits enlarged, or or take them into the bathroom, cover them with marshmallows and roll naked on them until I'm exhausted. No, what would be the point? Sheer waste of time. So, reviews? Complete waste of space. And it's not just nowadays. This state of affairs has been going on for decades. I know, because I've been keeping a record. I don't know if any of you remember dear old Nick Berry in that series called Harbour Lights. I mean, yeah, OK, sure, and it was yonks ago, but it was still unforgivable what some of the critics said about his performance. Hang on, here we are. All the charisma of a filing cabinet. Indeed. I phoned him. I said, look, Nico, mate, we've got to sue the newspaper. This has to stop. He absolutely amazed me by saying he'd rather just let it all blow over, which I thought was rather ungrateful after I'd organised the fighting fund and had all the photocopies of the reviews circulated just to show how bad it can get. Oh, and and then there was the case of, of David Soule. Remember him? It said... In the mirror, the ushers were begging the audience not to leave at the interval. And I'm not making this up. I have proof here in the Craig Annals of Theatre. Oh, and remember Nina Miskow saying that a certain actress has a sagging bum and a presence that... um, Something about a dishcloth. No, no, it was worse. A presence that blocks drains. Or, or, or this one, Mariah Aitken, inadequate, loud and like a man in drag, Manchester Evening News. It really is outrageous and shouldn't be allowed. Hmm, Simon Callow played Mozart as a cross between a chimp and a donkey? Well, that was Benedict Nightingale. Oh, oh, here's one. Francis de la Tour looks like James Coburn's twin sister. And that's The Guardian. Robert Hardy played it like a hat stand in a Turkish bath. What was that? Oh, Catholic Herald. Enough, enough. These are simply terrible things to see written about one's mates. What? Hi, Dad. How the hell did you suddenly appear? FaceTime. FaceTime. What's that web? I need an Uber. But 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 you're all over my screen. Dad, I need an Uber now. What? Well, 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 where are you? Peckham. I need an Uber. Bolt. Uber. Black cab. Now. Daniel Radcliffe's just giving me a buzz cut, and I, I need to get home. It looks shit. Look, I I'm waiting for an important call about a job, so I can't just. I'm meditating. Uh... And I'm in the middle of a pod. Actually, I'm doing a pod right now, so I don't even know how you can just interrupt like that all over my screen. Just, uh, Dad, just PayPal me a fiver. Well, I think the haircut Dad, looks quite good, actually. PayPal Very a... peaky bee. Uh, turn round to the side a minute and let me have a. Oh, he's gone. Hmm. I didn't know Daniel Radcliffe had acquired hairdressing skills, but there we are. Just goes to prove my earlier point about waiting for a phone call. The actor, very much like Estragon or Vladimir in the famous play, waiting, waiting, 
waiting for the ringtone that never comes. We are born astride a grave, the light gleams an instant, and then it's night once more, to quote the great Irishman Samuel Beckett. Or was he French? I have a truckload of respect for playwrights. I don't think they always get the credit they deserve for the helpful contribution they can sometimes make to a play. Despite a limited wardrobe and the odd bit of food in the beard, it is often the writer who provides the actor with some of his best ideas. I've always been absolutely meticulous about reading scripts. I'll usually look at the other parts as well as my own, and sometimes I read whole scenes in which I do not even appear. Look, there really is only one way to absorb a script, and that is simply to sit down on the sofa, pour yourself a large glass of Chilean, have a little skimmy through and a ponderette about it all. I'm sorry, but there we are. Because, you know, there is nothing but nothing quite like lying in bed on a crisp autumn morning and being coaxed into wakefulness by the sound of a clean new script coming through the letterbox, floppity-plop. It's like being a snow tigress at the moment of conception. I, I know I, I'm showing my age there, because, of course, nowadays it's more like hearing the ping of a notification that 300 pages of risk assessments and non-disclosure agreements has been PDF'd to you, and you know you won't be able to open any of the files because your server is non-compatible, or, or an unsupported destination, or whatever. Hmm, but that's just TV work. When one is going to do a classic text. One will have to get up off the sofa, put one's coat on, pound the streets down to the bookshop, Primrose Hill Pages is my local, and buy it. Now, I make it sound a rather simple process, but it's invariably one of the most traumatic experiences of an actor's entire life. I remember when I knew I was going to play Lord Foppishness at the National in 2004, I stood outside the shop for about six hours, desperately trying to pluck up enough courage to go in and ask for a copy of School for Fops. Even though I was wearing sunglasses and a large fedora, I was convinced that someone would recognise me and say something clever like, Oh, so you're going to have a crack at foppishness, are you, you cheeky bugger? You'll probably be quite awful and get deservedly poor reviews. Well, finally, I summed up every last atom of raw courage I could muster. And I got down on all fours and literally crawled into the shop. Eventually the proprietor sidled over, clearly hell-bent on bombarding me with questions about which play I was going to do, and what director, and where, and could he have a photograph of me to stick up in the shop. Sweet, I thought, but yawn boring, please God, can you send a bus to come and run him over? Can I help you, sir, he said. And that was it. My nerves snapped. Look, I said. I don't know whether I'm ready for foppishness yet. Maybe it's out of my range. Maybe I'll be stunning, but at least give me the chance to try. I deserve that at least. Look, my confidence is very low at this stage, so please, please don't prejudge me. And with that, I flourished my cane at him, 
knocking over a huge pile of remaindered copies of Charles Dance's Indian cookery, and swept out of the shop. As my feet hit the pavement, I realised that without even having read the script, I had started to become Lord Foppishness. Nice little story, isn't it? And I think it gets to the very heart of the kernel, of the nub of what acting is all about. You are saying to a character, yes, I'll get into your shoes and walk a mile. OK, I'll rent a room in your retina. You see, acting demands, in addition to Olympic fitness, the acceleration of a puma, phenomenal powers of concentration, and an insatiable appetite for just plain, bloody, old-fashioned sweat and slog and bloody hard work. Ah, at last. Uh, Sorry, as I said, I'm going to have to get this one. Um, um, Hello? Yes, this is he. Yes. Yes. Yes, I can. Uh, Yes. Yes, whenever you like. Oh, 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 that's great. Oh, that's great. Yes. Marvellous. I... I am an actor, yes, but um, that doesn't mean I'm not ready to... Uh, I see. I see. Well, I like to think that as an actor, I already am a key worker. But yes, no problem. Uh, uh, Monday, 7am? No, I don't have any forklift truck training as such. Uh, uh, but I was recently in an episode of Shakespeare and Hathaway where I drove a transit van. It was on a low loader, but I... I no, no well, no, well, that's great. Thank you. And, and, and see you Monday. Goodbye. Well, that's it. I got the job. I got it. Uh, which I'm afraid means um, an end, um, um, temporarily, I hope, to these podicular broadcasts. Damn, I forgot to ask them about the uniform. No matter. So, this will, by necessity, be my last podcom. It's been lovely, and so have you, for listening. Uh, thank you all, and, and goodbye for now. I have to go and work out what kind of facial hair I should be sporting on Monday. Um, so, so, ciao, ciao, bellas, sayonara, au revoir, and, and shake it down, and see you on the other side. This has been Nicholas Craig's Podcom. You have been listening to Nicholas Craig, I, an actor, a podcast by Nigel Planer and Christopher Douglas. The music was City in the Summer by Nigel Planer, arranged by Andrew Holdsworth with Tom Walsh on trumpet. Nicholas Craig was played by Nigel Planer. Lysander was played by Harvey Planer. It was produced by Joel Morris. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 